Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Topic for today is prayer, and this is in our continuing uh, series throughout the season of Lent leading up to Easter's of heart habits for real change. About how we really we we want to be different people. We want to do what is right to love God and love others, but Change is hard, and it doesn't come just by wanting to most of the time. But we see in the Bible in general that God changes our hearts and often does that through different habits. So we've been looking at different habits. And so today the habit is prayer. Now, prayer, of course, is a huge, huge topic. And we, you know, we, could, we could have a gazillion sermons just on habits of prayer. So I am not at all claiming to talk about prayer as a whole this morning. Um, in particular, there's, uh, you can kind of think of prayer in two, two different categories. One is like prayer as an act of worship, in a sense. The, the prayer communion with God, learning from God, the, the prayers, uh, particularly the daily prayer project that Philip mentioned earlier that we've started using as a church, is kind of that kind of worship prayer, where we spend time with God for the sake of spending time with God. The other kind of prayer is what we often call, in general, intercessory prayer. Praying for other people or for needs or that kind of thing. And that's really where we're going to be focusing today on when we pray for the needs of ourselves and other people. In this case, particularly needs for healing. But as you'll see in God's Word, that category is perhaps bigger than you may have thought about it before. So let's hear what God's Word has to say from James, and then we'll reflect on it from there, as well as from some other places in Scripture. But this is James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simple and clear commands and promises that you give us here. We pray now that as we reflect on it together, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and that it would not merely be information for our heads, but truly transformation for our hearts that would change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, I mentioned this book, God Smuggler, written by Brother Andrew, and I figured it was good uh, for, a, for a morning on prayer to bring this back into the conversation. I read from this last week about Brother Andrew's discovery of what it means to have a relationship with God. But if you read through this book, uh, and if you weren't here last week, Brother Andrew uh, was a Dutchman uh, who grew up during World War II, but then spent the 60s, 70s, and 80s smuggling Bibles across the Iron Curtain into the communist-controlled countries to strengthen the churches there. And so it is an incredible tale of faith 
and miracles. And there's one story in particular here that's just crazy. Of course, the, the communist-controlled countries during the Cold War era, they, they did not, they, they were atheists, and they did not want the influence of religion. That was a threat to the Communist Party control, and they controlled their borders very tightly. And so no kinds of religious materials were to be brought in the country, certainly no Bibles. So Brother Andrew tells the story of pulling up to a checkpoint, and I forget exactly which country this was in, but one of the countries. And he pulls up to the border crossing, and he gets there, and he's like, oh, he's got a car full of Bibles, as he always did. And he gets to the border crossing, and he's like, oh, there's only you know, a half dozen cars here. This shouldn't take long. And 30 minutes later, there's still a half dozen cars. And he's watching the car up front, and everything that family has is being pulled out of the car and spread out on the grass, and the car is just being stripped, searched from, bottom, from top to bottom. And the next car, the same thing. The next car, the same thing. And he's just waiting and waiting, and he's thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Like, there's, I mean, the Bibles are not well hidden. Like, there is no way. And so, as he's about to be next in line, he says, Lord, this is up to you. And he, he manages to take some Bibles from where they're, they're hidden a little bit. And he just puts them on the seat next to him. He's like, Lord, you've got to do this. You've got to. His prayer was, Lord, when you were on earth, you made, seeing, you made blind eyes see. Now will you make seeing eyes blind, that they may not see the things you do not want them to see. So every car has been taken apart. He pulls up to the checkpoint, and he starts to open the door to get out, and the border guard just holds it there. He holds the door shut with his knee, takes his passport, scribbles something on it, hands it back, and waves him right through. And he passes through that border crossing in under 30 seconds with a stack of Bibles on the seat next to him because God answered his prayers. And so we hear, we hear these stories from missionaries like Brother Andrew and so many more if you've, if you've spent time in the church, um, I'm sure you've heard many of these kinds of stories. And yet, many of them can feel kind of distant, like, wow. But could that really happen in my life? Could I see that kind of miracle? Could I pray with that kind of faith to drive up to a communist border crossing with Bibles stacked on the front seat and trust that God will provide? Could God actually heal the sickness in my body? Could he actually bring reconciliation to the relationships in my family that are broken? And we look at, the, so we hear the stories and we think, I can't be like that. And then we read this word from James that's just so simple. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. It's just like, well, I mean, there, there's nothing to it. Elijah was a man just like us, but there's still this disconnect for most of us. We, prayer is hard. Faith is hard. So what do we need to be able to pray the way that Brother Andrew prayed? What do we need to be able to pray the way that James calls us to pray? What is it that we need? And really, where this, where this starts is it has to start, it's not from a place of technique. It's not from a place of mustering up some kind of faith within ourselves. But it has to start as it always does. It has to start with God. It has to start with knowing God. We have to realize that God is the one who has all the power. Ultimately, our prayers, our prayer life, and our willingness to pray in faith comes down to issues of belief. Do we believe that God is at work? Do we believe that God actually wants to heal? Do we believe that God has the power to heal? And do we believe that not only with our heads, but deeply in our hearts? so that it plays out in our lives. 
So the starting point is that God has all the power to heal. And then once we know that, we can see three things that we must know, three aspects of know, three things that you know. But first, we have to know what God is doing in the world. Secondly, we have to know who God is as Father. And third, we have to know how to pray to Him. We have to know what? The knowledge. We have to know who? The relational knowing. And we have to know how? The practical doing. Isn't it fun that the same word means three different things? So first, we have to know what God is doing. And what we have to realize about this is that our prayers for healing are not just something that we want, some isolated thing that we want, but this is part of the bigger story of what God is doing in the world. It's fascinating, the book of Acts, If you, uh, we went through that as the first book of the Bible we went through as a church. You may remember uh, the Apostle Peter that first brought the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Gentile Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And when Peter came to speak to Cornelius, of course this was a big deal because he was crossing racial and religious and cultural boundaries and all these things. It was a big deal for him to go to Cornelius' house. But one of the things that's fascinating there is in speaking to Cornelius, he gives a summary of what Jesus did on earth. He said Jesus came to preach the word and to heal the sick. And we see this in Luke as Jesus declares his mission. Jesus came to declare the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God comes with healing. And one of the, the key features of Jesus' ministry on earth that everybody knows about is that Jesus healed lots of sick people. All the sick that came to him, he healed. He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. He took away small things like fevers. He took away big things like paralysis. So Jesus did these amazing miracles of healing. But what he taught and what he gave to his disciples, in the, not just the 12, but other disciples as well, he sent them out to preach the word, to cast out evil spirits, and to heal. And he said that this work of healing was not just something that Jesus did for a few years on earth, but this is the work of God's kingdom in the world. In fact, this is the big story of the world, that God created the world to be good. He created the world perfectly, but that the world was messed up by sin. First, Adam and Eve in the garden, they disobeyed God, they ate the fruit from the tree, they sinned. They were cast out of the garden, and then people forever after have been sinning generally in increasing measure doing worse and worse things, turning to their own ways instead of God's ways, turning inward instead of outward in love. But then the whole story of the Bible is God's promise that he's going to fix that sin problem. And that sin problem has messed up everything about the world. And you might say, well, wait, where, where do we go from sickness and healing to sin? But those things are connected throughout the Bible. We even see it here in James. James just flips back and forth. And you might have even been surprised by that. He said, if anybody is sick, let him call the elders. They'll anoint him with oil and pray for him. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And you're like, where did, where did sin come from? Like, we were talking about sickness. But the Bible is clear that these two things are related. Now, like we talked about a few weeks ago, when we talked about why COVID, and we talked about suffering, the Bible does not give us the ability or the right to connect any particular instance of sickness to any particular instance of sin. The, you know, the biblical prophets could do that occasionally, but, but we don't have that ability or right. 
So it's not that every sickness is directly connected to some specific sin, but it is clearly true that sickness and sin are closely connected. And God's mission of healing the world from sin includes healing the world of sickness. That the sin of people is ultimately what causes, sometimes in immediate direct way, sometimes in mysterious ways that we don't understand, all the sickness and bad things that we happen, that we see happening in the world. So there's a sense in which anytime we pray for something to change in the world, we are praying for healing. Healing prayer is really bigger than just so-and-so has a fever or so-and-so has a broken foot. Those, of course, are wonderful things for prayer. But when we pray for nations to, to stop fighting, that is a prayer for healing. When we pray for a greater sense of unity within our culture, that is a prayer for healing. Because God is in the business of healing. He's healing the effects of sin on this world. And so that's where, it, in, our, uh, in our assurance of a pardon this morning, our assurance of God's grace from 1 Peter chapter 2, said he himself, Jesus, has borne our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds you have been healed. When Jesus went to the cross to die for the forgiveness of sins, that is the starting point of all healing. So if we're going to passionately pray for healing, and have faith to expect that God will answer our prayers, it has to start by knowing what God is doing. And without that, it's very hard to persevere in prayer. I don't know if you've ever tried to do a puzzle without the box, you know, without the picture on the box. You just have a whole collection of pieces. And you've got these blue pieces and these black pieces and these orange pieces, and you start trying to put them together and you look for some edge pieces. It is very, very frustrating. These are, uh, try, whether because you don't have the box or because it's the kind of puzzle that doesn't have a picture, these puzzles are very hard to do, to put together, just a piece here and a piece there. But once you've got the box and the picture, you're like, oh, I can see that this is sky, and this is land, and this is a tree, and the pieces start to come together. And that's kind of what our life with prayer is like, that we're trying to do these things individually, and it seems so so random and disconnected, and why does God answer this prayer and not that one? We don't understand, but when we see the bigger picture, and we see that God has the bigger picture, then we can move forward with faith, and we can move forward in obedience to pray to Him. So the, the, the call for us, if we want to, to deepen our lives of prayer, if we want to be able to see these healings happen, if we want to be able to ask in faith, we have to start by filling ourselves with the knowledge of God's work. And this is really where worship comes. Two weeks ago, we started this series talking about worship as the heart, one of the heart habits that brings change. It's a centering, a focusing of our lives on God and His work. And then the rest of these things can flow from that. So the question for us, if we want lives of prayer, is how, starting point is, how are we centering ourselves on God in worship? Here on Sunday mornings as we gather together to remind ourselves each and every Sunday of the story of what God is doing. Using that daily prayer project throughout the week to center ourselves in what God is doing in the world. Reading our Bibles, seeing how the story plays out in all these different ways. Studying the Bible together, seeing how it works, who God is. Surrounding ourselves with the people of God that we can be reminded of how God is at work so we can know what 
God is doing in the world. But it's not enough, as we all know. Knowing what is never enough on its own. We have to know who. We have to know who God is as Father. In fact, it's fascinating. Another key place in the Bible that talks about prayer is in Luke chapter 11. When Jesus' disciples say to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. So if you feel like you need to learn how to pray, so did the disciples. Lord, teach us how to pray. And he responds by giving them the pattern that we now call the Lord's Prayer. But then after that, he tells them this story. He tells them a couple short, short stories. But this is one of them, he says, in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 11. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke chapter 11, verse 11. So Jesus responds to teach us how to pray. And even the prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer starts out with our Father. That The key to prayer, the key to seeing God's work come forward, come forward in this world, to see healing, to walk in faith, is to know who God is as Father. This is the relational knowing that God is our Father. God is a person. That God does not answer prayers according to some abstract set of rules and principles. You know, I said it's like you you need the picture for the puzzle, but it's really not just that God has this picture, and so, well, if this answer fits as a yes, we'll put it in as a yes. If this answer fits as a no, we'll put it in as a no. It's that God is a father, answering our prayers as a father would. And when we start to understand that, then we realize why we don't always get the answers that we want. Because sometimes, as all fathers know, what the children ask for is not what is best. I mean, here Jesus said, if he asks for bread, are you going to give him a scorpion? No. But you could also flip that. If your child asks for a scorpion, are you going to give it to him? No. You're going to give him bread. And so we know this as parents, and we know this as children. What's every child's, maybe not every, but most children's favorite food group? Favorite food group. It's dessert. Of course it's dessert, right? The favorite food group of every child is dessert. And dessert is a wonderful thing. Big, luscious desserts, towers of ice cream, huge chocolate chip cookies. These are beautiful expressions of God's kingdom and God's created goodness in the world. Yet as parents, we also know that too much dessert is not good for you. That it is right to eat dessert sometimes and right to abstain other times. And so when our children ask us for dessert, we say, sometimes we say yes and sometimes we say no. But here's the thing. As all children also know, sometimes there's rules that seem to be followed. And lots of times, desserts happen when the rules don't follow. Like in our house, the dessert rule is that dessert night is Sunday night and Wednesday night. On those nights, there will be desserts. There will be two desserts that can be apportioned in different ways, depending on what's available. Those are rules for desserts. But then there's other times where suddenly more dessert appears. And it just we're just going to have more dessert tonight. And sometimes for children, they're like, why do we get dessert tonight and not this other night? And if we got it on this Saturday night this week, why can't we have it on Saturday night this week? And as parents, we know sometimes there's not a good answer to that. It's just the way it is. 
We just know from our parental wisdom when it is right to have dessert and when it is not right to have dessert. And it's the same way for us in prayer with God. When we see him as our father, sometimes he gives us exactly what we, need, what we, what we asked for. And sometimes he doesn't. And we cannot always, we frequently cannot tell why it is that he would answer one prayer this way and another prayer the other way. I have no idea why sometimes people get healed from cancer and other times people die from cancer. I have no idea why some people's broken bones and misaligned joints get healed and other people suffer with them for a lifetime. Sometimes as we walk through those journeys, we can see glimpses of what this or that particular suffering has led us to in terms of a deeper relationship with God, preparation for something else, whatever it may be. But sometimes we can't see that. And when we try to look too hard for the rules, we can't always figure it. We won't be able to figure it out. Instead, we have to throw ourselves on the relationship with God as our Father. And so when we know what God is doing and we know who God is, then we can start to know how to pray to God. In here, you know, in James, it gives us some specifics. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Call for the elders of the church. Invite the church family into this. This is not just an individual activity. This is a church activity. Anoint the sick him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why do we anoint people with oil? No idea. It doesn't tell us why that works. But we do it. We do it as a mark that God does things. We don't understand all of the, the physical ways that it works. We don't understand why it matters when we lay hands on people. But we saw that Jesus laid hands on people, so we lay hands on people to pray for them. We anoint them with oil because that's what James says to do. We can learn these things about how to pray. We can learn some specific things like that from God's word. We can learn from the experience of others who have prayed and seen God's healing. We can get better at prayer. It is something to be practiced, to be tried. Like I already said, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's a learning process. It's something we do and engage in with individually and with one another. I love um, this book, since I've got books up here, and I can't hardly talk about prayer without talking about Paul Miller and a praying life. And if you've never, uh, if you've never read this book, this is a fantastic book on prayer and about what it means. It particularly focuses on the idea of a relationship that we talked about and praying to God in relationship. But there's also a lot of great suggestions for practical techniques for how to pray. It is good for how to pray. It is good to seek these things out. It is good to just receive prayer from others. Say, I don't know how to do this. Let me just come receive prayer on Sunday morning. Let me make an appointment to come on Tuesday nights. And we'll, we'll listen to you. We'll listen to God. We'll listen to his word. And we'll pray for you. And we'll see what God does. Sometimes, often, as it says here in James, he will bring to mind an awareness of sin that needs to be confessed. That's not always pleasant, but it is good. It is for our healing. Sometimes he will give healing right in the moment. Sometimes it'll take time. The next day that they were healed. Sometimes it'll take multiple times of prayer. But in, throughout this journey of knowing what God is doing in the world, who he is as Father, then we can learn how to pray to him. And we can get better and we can start to see more and more of God's power unleashed in our individual lives, in the lives of our community. What would that look like if resurrection community was known as a place where people are healed?
healed of sickness, healed of injury, healed of relational hurt, healed of past wounds. This is what God is calling us to, to be a place of hope and healing where we see the power of the resurrection lived out in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all your many blessings to us. We thank you for the promise of healing. We pray that you would do this work in our lives as we seek to understand you more as our God, as our Father, as we come before you in humble faith. Would you hear our prayers and answer them and do mighty things, mighty works of healing in our midst and in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.